What is going on? Welcome to Canucks Talk on a Tuesday game day for the Canucks. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Trance, who also covers the team at The Athletic. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment, your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. Drance still on the road in Ottawa with the team. I am coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech footwear and orthotics. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. And, of course, 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. Uh, it is a game day for the Vancouver Canucks. We will talk about their matchup with the Ottawa Senators uh, throughout the course of the show. But, you know, Drance, there are, there are some days where we're not exactly sure what we're going to talk about or how we're going to run the show. And then there are days like today where events around the team make it abundantly clear and abundantly obvious exactly which way the show is going to go. And that's what Jim Rutherford did for us uh, when he spoke to Dan and sat on Canucks Central yesterday afternoon. Oh, did something happen? (laughs) Did something happen that everyone wants to talk about, Jamie? Had you not picked up on that? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was an interesting day at the rink, for sure, today. Uh, You know, sometimes you arrive and you're like, okay, I'll pay close attention, figure out exactly what the storylines are today. And today you walked into the rink knowing exactly what you were going to ask everybody. If you go watch the Bruce Boudreaux availability, I just hit him with it off the top. And he's just like, oh, we're going to start with this. (laughs) It's like, yeah, yeah, we are. What else would we start with? Um, You know, a lot of what Rutherford talked about, we kind of unpacked yesterday, right? In in some ways. Some of it, for sure. In some ways, I wasn't surprised by what I heard because, you know, I've been working the phones and trying to figure out how the organization is thinking about this start. Um, I thought Rutherford was really candid in a really great interview, like Satin Dan did a fabulous job and Rutherford played the game with them. He he was very candid about how management is regarding this start and some of the difficulties that they perceive in evaluating this group as a result of what they think are structural failings, significant ones uh, in terms of the club's preparation, in terms of their defensive play, in terms of the way this club plays. And, you know, I think it's interesting that those comments were made at this juncture with the team heading over, uh, heading out on an East Coast road trip through Ottawa, Montreal, and Toronto, a bunch of places where, you know, the players are bound to be asked about it. Yep. Um, so, you know, I said this a little bit on, on the Merrick show a couple hours ago, but I, I do sort of think one thing about hockey players generally, people who've lived their life in the game, right, is, is it's an innate skill that hockey players develop where they test people. Right, you you test your opponents, you probe your opponents for weakness. Right, uh, the best hockey players know when they look up, can I beat a defenseman out wide? Right, or or uh, am, am I bigger than them? Can I go through them? Right, what's their weak spot? How can I exploit it? That's like fundamentally what the game is about. You know, it's a contained game of geometric problem solving, and and NHL players and NHL lifers and hockey people are expert expert at probing opponents for weaknesses and testing people. And one thing that happens when you've got, you know, veteran hockey people in leadership roles is they'll test people as well. Uh, Jim Rutherford's a person who likes to build a big front office in part because he likes to test people. He likes to test ideas. He likes to play devil's advocate. He challenges his staff in meetings. He wants debate. He wants arguments. He wants to test things. And from his perspective, from the perspective of the organization, I think 
you're looking at what's next for this team, and your worst case scenario is an average outcome. Like, what's the worst thing that could happen for the Canucks long term from here to the end of the season? It's going 500. Right? Going 500 would get you to 79 points. You're picking 12th. You know, congrats. Right? That would be the worst case scenario. Any extreme reaction, right? Whether it's the team winning 8 of 10 or losing 8 of 10, positions this club better than winning 5 of the next 10. Like, that's just the truth of the matter. That's how the NHL system is set up. I, I think Rutherford, as he considers, like, am I going to dismantle this team? Am I going to work put the work in to make sure that i'm at the top or if not at the very top then you know with a realistic shot at landing one of the best players in the 2023 nhl entry draft or are we going to keep bolstering this group are we going to keep finding ethan bears and improving on the margins and trying to make the playoffs right either decision is going to be predicated on an extreme run of form one way or the other from this group so you might as well mix it up. You might as well stir the pot. You might as well make that abundantly clear to everybody that this, like right now, show me what you are. Show me what you're worth. If you can't handle this, that's fine. If you can and you respond, that's fine too. I I, I, I can't escape that, you know, I can't escape having been around hockey people for so long, my entire career, uh, wondering if that was the fundamental intention uh, of what occurred on Monday on our airwaves. So we'll play a lot of Jim Rutherford clips, or at least a few Jim Rutherford clips here throughout the course of the show. By the way, I should also mention, uh, Bick Nazar not on with the People Show today. No People Show because of the early game. So his loss is our gain. Uh, Yannick Hansen, regularly on with Bick on Tuesdays, will join us. We'll get his thoughts and his reaction to everything uh, that Rutherford had to say, everything going on with the team. That's coming up at 12.30. So you'll want to stick around for that for sure. I want to come back to the idea of... Rutherford challenging the team because I think that is a really fascinating dynamic here and you know as you said off the top there's no, it's not necessarily that Jim Rutherford said anything brand new in that interview right I, th I do think there were a couple of new nuggets you know about hey maybe we have to consider trading a player we previously never would have thought of something like that right but the overall tone the overall message is something that we've heard before but having said that when you repeat a message consistently, it starts to take on a different significance than it does, you know, the first time you say it, certainly even the second time you say it, right? Like just the mere fact of forcefully repeating something does kind of end up making it new information in a way, right? Because you get a sense of just how important it is to, in this case, Jim Rutherford. You know, when he mentioned structure the first time at the year-end availabilities, it was, oh, okay, that was interesting. We'll see where that goes. Now, we've kind of been hit over the head with it consistently, right? And I, I want to talk about, just so we're all on the same page, we'll run back one of the clips here and then talk a little bit about what it means for, for Bruce Boudreaux for the organization. But here is Jim Rutherford talking about the start of the season season and how their systems need to be better. I feel the same way as those texts that you referred to, uh, how, how those people feel. This is, uh, uh, first of all, this is not going to get changed in a, in a real short period of time. I, I know that we all recognize that, and there's a real challenge here, um, you know, related to sorting out contracts and, and, and different things like that. But at this point, I would have expected better. Uh, I didn't like our training camp. Um, and we continued into the early part of the season. 
um, the same way as our, our training camp was. And in order for us, there's a lot of things that have to happen, but in order for us to become a better team, we have to play with a stronger system and, and, uh, and really be more accountable for some of the things that some of the players are, are struggling with. So when in the NHL now, the way the game's played and the way the game's called by the, the referees, uh, it's hard to defend because, you know, you can't get away with mm-hmm. those cross checks in front of the net, knocking the guys out of the way. And so it's understandable that teams are going to give up uh, leads. And, you know, it happens all over the league. But the fact that it has happened as many times as it has for the Canucks in this short period of time, it's a major concern and something has to be fixed. When, you, when you're when you winning at home 3 nothing in your own building, and you have the the goaltender that we have and the players that we have, we should not lose that game. And unfortunately, we did every point's critical to us at this point. That's uh, Canucks President of Hockey Operations, Jim Rutherford, again yesterday with Dan and Sat on Canucks Central. And again, nothing new necessarily in that clip, right? Didn't like the training camp. We'd heard that before. Need to play with more structure. Need to have more accountability. You know, yes, it's it can be difficult to defend leads, but that doesn't mean it should be happening as often as it's happening to our team. And, you know, again, the fact it's not new information, but just the fact that it's been repeated over and over and over again, I do think is really noteworthy. And I, I just think at a basic level, Drancer, at some point, it doesn't seem healthy or productive or beneficial for anyone involved for an organization to have kind of this level of public friction, this level of public criticism between key members of the organization for an extended length of time, right? And that's that's what we're getting here, where this is just kind of an open thing that everyone knows about, right? When you think about the Vancouver Canucks, this iteration of the Vancouver Canucks, one of the things that's going to pop into your head first is Rutherford doesn't seem to like the job that the head coach is doing. And that's just a weird place to be for an NHL team for any extended time. Yeah. I mean, look, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, Certainly the fact that Boudreaux's hire preceded Rutherford, right? Um, Certainly the fact that there are two head coaches on the Canucks books, neither of whom were hired by new Canucks management. You can understand the frustration, no? Yeah, it's a weird situation. Is it not understandable? Yeah, like, you know, I think we get into fruit of the poisonous tree territory here pretty quickly. But I will also say, sorry to cut you off, but I would also say. No, that's fine. I get it. It is frustrating. I totally understand where the frustration comes from. At the same time, and I know what the first answer to this is, but like I would also say just in abstract terms, if you're an NHL team and you know your coach right now is not going to be the coach of your team next season, the default position should probably be, well, let's make a clean break and let's move on then, right? Like, why keep a coach that you know is not going to be around beyond this year? And I understand the the immediate answer as well. We don't want to, we're already paying Travis Green still. Uh, we don't want to be paying three coaches. I, I get that, but at the same point, what are you gaining other than saving a little bit of money to continue this relationship when it's clearly not well, going to be a long-term relationship. Well, would the Canucks have been better off? Jamie, let me ask you this. As a as a I'm going to answer your question with a question. All right. Okay? Would the Canucks have been better off hiring Boost Boudreaux and going on that run that resulted in no playoff games? 
or keeping Travis Green and sagging for the entire season. Yeah, well, they clearly would have been better off uh, keeping Travis Green, making a change in management, and then allowing the new management to identify their coach and go forward with that coach, right? They also would have been better off if they'd had 25 fewer points last year, right? I mean, you, you'd have you'd, you'd have a Denton Matejchuk or a Kevin Korchinski or something like that in the system, right? I mean, at the end of the day, it's hard to ignore that, in my view anyway. So what, I mean, if you're new management, why would you hold on to a coach who you don't believe in beyond the season? Well, do you really want to live through next year again? Do you want to bring someone in who reinvigorates the room and gives you a, a Boudreaux bump the sequel? But isn't that why, hold on. Like, do you that, really want yeah, that? I get that. But isn't that why interim coaches exist, right? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you, I don't, mean, you don't have to go. I'm not saying fire Boudreaux and go out and get Barry Trotz. That's not what I'm saying. No. Right? I'm saying just put an end to this. Put an end to this awkwardness and this messiness. Messiness. Like, all due respect to Mike Yo. If if you make him the interim one, I mean maybe you have more insight in this to, to than me, Drancer. But like I don't know what how much I don't, of a no, it doesn't make you better. Well, that <laughs> but, but also no like one, no one gets better losing Bruce Boudreau. I'm yeah, sorry. that's it's the thing, true. right? And like how much of a pay bump does that does getting the interim tag come with? You know what I mean? Like I don't even know if the financial argument really applies in that situation. So that seems yeah, like. I mean- uh, it definitely comes with a pay bump. <laughs> fair enough, but like it seems like an option that's at least very plausible and very reasonable that doesn't have the 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 de- potential downfall that you're talking about, right? And it doesn't have maybe as much of a a financial impact. And I mean, how much longer can it go on like this, right? And you know, you talked about the timing. Like they got to play in Toronto on Saturday. <laughs> They're less than a week out from, like, the most high-profile game on your schedule. Bruce Boudreaux, Ontario guy who loves – used to work, do work for Sportsnet, who's going to be airing the game, loves to – beloved in the media, loves talking to the media. I don't know how much longer you can go on with this, and I really, really like Bruce Boudreaux as a coach, but this just seems to be – if it's not already in the untenable category, it seems to be rapidly, rapidly approaching that point. Oh, I don't think it's – I don't think it's untenable. I think there's a real chance that Boudreaux continues on all season, even if this sort of commentary continues to be how management feels. I think there's a real shot of that, and I don't think it's just a financial thing. So, you know, we'll we'll see, but I mean, untenable, like they could easily reel off two straight wins here, and people will be like, those Rutherford comments really fired the team up, or <laughs> they could true. lose two, or they could lose two in a row, and it would be like, man, their season's probably over going into Toronto. Um, you know, <laughs> like that's probably in the management group's best interests. So, you know, for me anyway, I sort of look at it as not untenable. I, I sort of feel like the upside is fine for from the perspective of new management. The downside is also fine. And given that, I mean, why wouldn't you why wouldn't you stir the pot? You know, you know, like the worst the worst thing is that things continue on as they are. And it's like you put a placid face on a bad situation and everyone stays comfortable. That That's probably the worst case scenario from Canucks management's perspective. Uh, you know, for me anyway, just using Occam's razor, I sort of see that as the basis of what we heard on Monday. 
Well, I don't think there's any question that part of this is about challenging the players and trying to spark some sort of reaction, right? As you say, whether it's positive, whether it's a negative reaction. Now, I, we we heard uh, Rutherford again refer to um, refer to the training camp and how they had a poor training camp uh, in that first clip. Um, this is the key clip. This is the key clip for me. Okay. Now, I think it was – he mentioned it in the first clip we played. I don't know if there was another one as well. Producer Dom is shaking his head <laughs> at me. Why? Because I, I, think, I think what Producer Dom is indicating to me is that the training camp mentioned was in the clip we played where he says we have a poor oh. training camp. My my bad. No no no. Excuse it's all me. good. It's all good. We're we're doing it on the fly in different locations here. <laughs> but I was uh, what I was attempting to do was to uh, tee you up to elaborate on why that is the key point in uh, in your point of view. Well, do you remember early on in the preseason when the team lost to the Calgary Flames, and I was like, "Hey, my inclination is to say not a big deal," but everyone seems to think it's a big deal. Do you remember that? Yep. It's not like this is new. Well, also right? the game There's, against uh, Edmonton, where they were yeah. extremely displeased with the the pushback and the physicality and all of that. It's it's wild, and so this has been a long running, long simmering piece of frustration, dating back to, as Rutherford alluded to, training camp itself, right? Dating back to the way that this team prepared, and you know that's like for me, that's what's intractable, right? Is you know. This notion that the routine day-to-day -day is in the way, that it's not robust enough, that the habits aren't good enough, and that that makes it harder to evaluate everybody. That, to me, is sort of the, the root of, of why Rutherford's commentary felt so candid and so pressing, mm. right? Why it wasn't something that he could just sit on anymore. And so, you know, I think it's partly a guide to fans too, an invitation almost to look at it from this perspective. And, and I suspect that's also got to be part of the motivation in delivering that sort of statement publicly. The other part, and we're, we've most of the focus has been on the commentary about Bruce Boudreaux, and I understand that with Boudreaux's status, obviously, as the guy who speaks to the media every day, you know, it, it picks up on a thread that began after the season last year, and we've kind of been following. So I understand that. Totally get it. That's how we started the show, too. The other part, though, is some of the comments about holding the players accountable, uh, about potential future roster moves. We're not going to have time to tackle all of them in this segment. We'll get to some of them later. But just to, to, to kind of build on the idea of Rutherford consciously challenging the team, here's what he said about uh, needing to hold the players accountable as well. We're at a point now, and, and certainly we'll be at this point even more so at the end of this road trip where we have to make players more accountable and uh, we'll, you know, we'll have to take the necessary steps uh, to get players attention. Uh, you know, as we've, we've tried to make changes in the off season, you know, a priority of ours is the right side of our defense. Uh, we need to make it younger. We took a step forward there uh, when we finally were able to get, Ethan Bear, we'd worked on that deal for a few months, but mm -hmm. we didn't have the cap space. Finally, got creative enough that we could do it. Um, but you know, we if our if we were playing in a real strong structure, it would make it easier for our defense to play, and uh, and it wouldn't you know it wouldn't matter who was on our defense. But mm -hmm. right now, we don't have that strong structure, and 
we need to change the makeup of our defense. And when a defenseman comes along like it did in the offseason, we were in on just about every one of those players that moved to another team. But there were always circumstances that meant we couldn't get them. We didn't. Mm-hmm. We either didn't have the cap space or another team was willing or, or had a better player or players to give up for the defenseman. That's Jim Rutherford and, you know, in, in, I guess, appropriate fashion for that interview, uh, starts about talking about holding the players accountable and needing to get the players' attention, and especially depending on how this road trip goes, that'll be especially the case. And then uh, at the end there, talks about how the structure is letting down the players as well, which was kind of the theme of the interview for Jim Rutherford. But look, I think you're exactly right, that he is consciously challenging the team. This is a big, high-profile road trip. If you don't perform on here, the season is likely done, so this is it, kind of put up or shut up time right now for the players. But let's not forget, Drancer, it was less than two weeks ago, right, that Rutherford, based on reporting we heard, spoke directly to the team ahead of the game in Seattle, which ended up being their first win, and, you know, implicitly or explicitly challenged them and said, hey, if we make changes, it's not just going to be the coach. There could be some players being traded. There could be some veteran players put on waivers. We need to see that response. That's great. They go out. They fight a bunch in the first period. They stick up for each other. They win their first game of the season. They, they defend hard <laughs> to finish it. That was less than two weeks ago. And now we need to, they need to be called out again? You need the president has to challenge the team again going into this pivotal road trip? Like, that in and of itself is so damning that the first call-out, the first <laughs> challenge, has apparently worn off less than two weeks later. Trancer, we're uh, right you, back here. You can't, you can't help but laugh. And, and look, one thing I think, this, this is a good text we got in, by the way, from hashtag Bruce Bro. So you can imagine what, what <laughs> side he's taking. But I, I want to read it because it's an important counterpoint to some of what we've said in my view. He, he's, Bruce Bro texts in, Rutherford is taking zero ownership for mistakes like helping, uh, helping the D in the offseason, leaving zero cap flexibility, and not to mention the fact that Rutherford oversaw the renovations that impacted training camp. Uh, it, that's in the locker room, of course. Mm. Um, so, you know, I think it's a little more complicated than, <laughs> than Rutherford overseeing those renovations. But certainly there were other options available to this organization as opposed to doubling down on the forwards the way they did extending JT Miller, right? I don't think that this was a strong off first offseason for management. Um, I think that's fair to point out. You hope that this wasn't just deflecting, right? You hope that this wasn't just deflecting and that there was more than just a, a candid address here, but that in fact there was a, a thought to challenge this team given that the club benefits z- not one iota from the status quo remaining. Uh, they need some extreme results one way or the other here. That 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 best serves their interests. But I wanted to read that text as a alternate viewpoint that I think is a fair one and one that deserves some airtime. Well, it's certainly fair. And, you know, look, you heard also in that uh, in that clip that we just played, from Rutherford talking about, look, we tried to upgrade our defense, but we didn't have the cap space. You know, other teams were able to make better offers. We were in on all of the defensemen uh, that moved, and we have a couple people yep. talking and speculating about, you know, John Marino. Yeah. Well, uh, that's true. Yeah, Marino for sure. Marino for sure. And Labushkin is the other one that was top of mind that they really did chase. Now, but the, um, but the problem is, Drancer, like I – I understand what Rutherford is saying there, and yeah, you didn't have the cap space. You don't have the assets necessarily to go out and make a splash like that, but 
you also signed Ilya Mikheyev to a, a, a significant deal. You re-upped with JT Miller, which doesn't impact your cap this year, but now but you're also talking. To trade him. But now you but declining to trade him decline, is a choice. Yep, declining to trade him. And we're also we're already hearing Rutherford talking about, you know, trying to free up cap space so you can be more active next summer. Well, the JT Miller contract is definitely going to hamper your ability to do that. So it's not again, we've talked about this. Once you sign that Miller deal and the Mikheyev deal, to be fair, it becomes much harder to play the, you know, well, hey, I didn't I didn't make this bad card. You, you did to a certain extent, or at least you contributed to it uh, in a pretty meaningful way. Well, and that was my that was my take before the offseason, right? The moment you do the Miller deal, you rubber stamped this this basic core group, which has now had a disappointing first three weeks of the season for a third year in a row. Um, the bed's not made on this yet, right? This team still has a chance to turn it around, but time is not infinite for them to do so right <laughs> that needs to happen now it needs to start tonight in the nation's capital or at least in a cornfield outside of the nation's <laughs> capital and so you know we'll see where this goes I think it's fair to come down on this and just say man throw your hands up and be like this is too much this is too much how are we doing this again and and I think my main thoughts come down to you know I always used to say this when I used to advise an ownership group in, in a public relations role. The right thing done the wrong way can still be the wrong thing. Mm. That was always that was always my formulation, right? You actually have to do things the right way for them to be the right thing, particularly when you're talking about chains of command, particularly when you're talking about a, a large organization like a hockey club. And so the Boudreaux hire was inspired. Right. I mean, the results speak for themselves after he was hired. It was an inspired hire that turned a lifeless team around. Right. But if you put the cart before the horse, it's still the wrong move. It's still the wrong hire. And we're seeing that play out today, 12 months later, where the friction is almost inevitable because of the structure of the thing. And that to me at the end of the day, traces back to a level above hockey operations, right? That traces back to a, a level of organizational dysfunction that just feels far too familiar to anyone who's been following this franchise's struggles over the course of the past decade plus. And, and you know, for me anyway, that's sort of the first thing that I look at, shake my head at, and wonder how this club can go forward so long as these failures this these failures of you know <laughs> alignment continue to dictate what this team is we got to take a quick break yannick hansen former canuck you know i want to you don't want to miss that he will join us next here on canucks talk sportsnet 650 Welcome back to Canucks Talk here on Sportsnet 650. Jamie Dodd, Thomas Strantz on a Canucks game day. They'll play the Ottawa Senators at 4 o'clock. Haven't even talked about that yet. We'll get to that later in the show. There's enough else going on. Uh, coming to you live from the Kintec Studio, 650-650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. The smart alternative is at Dunbar Lumber on Bridge Street in Ladner or Arbutus in Vancouver online. At DunbarLumber.com, we will read uh, plenty of your texts later on in the show, but we are now very pleased to be joined. Uh, Yannick Hansen, former Canucks player, regular contributor here on Sportsnet 650, joins the show. Yannick, thanks for making some time and accommodating us today. How are you? Yeah, no problem. It's always a pleasure. Uh, 
I mean, it's a new season, right? Uh, snow's falling, and uh-huh. uh, Canucks are away on the road. Maybe something will happen tonight. Yeah, we will see because, uh, you know, last time we heard that the the president had kind of challenged the team, they went out and they had a bunch of fights in the first period, got their first win against Seattle. We'll see if it has any effect tonight. Do you recall a time in your career, Yannick, where, you know, whether it was the GM or the president, but somebody kind of above the coach publicly was very pointed uh, in, in kind of calling out or criticizing the players on the team? No, I only recall one time, and it wasn't public. It was uh, the entire team that uh, was lined up, and one after another, we had our little meeting with Mike Gillis, but it wasn't public in any way. Um, it was kept on the wrap, and like I said, I only remember that being one time in my yeah eleven year career. I was also fortunate to be on some some very good teams for for a long time, so it wasn't it wasn't in the same same sense uh, we were losing a couple of games and weren't happy but but no never public in in the way that we just seen here what do you think it says about a team when you know the president feels the need to you know i know he was talking about the coach a lot yesterday on our airwaves but he also said we're gonna have to hold the players more accountable we might have to do something to wake up the players what does it what does it say about a team when the president feels the need to do that He's obviously frustrated. He he was expecting uh, he was expecting something else than what we saw. Um, again, um, I don't think any of us was expecting them to uh, to 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 start where they left off last year. They weren't that good, um, but again, we we didn't expect them to to plummet either right back into what they were before they got. Uh, uh, greener fired um so but some happy medium where they were right in the in the playoff hunt would have been nice to come out to start the season um and again they they almost uh, ended their season within the first 10 games uh, they got a couple of wins under their belt now but but it's still like you've seen uh, a lot of a lot of mistakes i i wouldn't want to see from a from an nhl league team and it's being repeated over and over again. So it's like they don't learn from their mistakes. They just keep making the same ones. And that's obviously frustrating from from management ship when, when you think you have a product ready to go and right off the bat, it, it kind of just falls apart. Yannick, it's impossible to hear the commentary and not hear criticism of the coach. But as a player, when you're hearing allusions to day-to-day not doing the things necessary for success. I mean, wouldn't you read that as an indictment of the guys in the room, not just the coach? It's everybody. Um, and I think it's, he said this as well in a previous interview, that, that uh, this is the same group that if if Bruce gets fired, it's, gotten, it's going through third coach all of a sudden. And that's not a good statement for for a group of guys because then, well, sooner or later, like you got to point the finger at yourself. Uh, you, it's the players on the ice that's going to have to win the game at the end. Yeah, the coach has his systems. He's got the, all these things he's implementing. He's uh, he's telling which guys to go out on the ice. But when you're on the ice, um, it's your responsibility to win that battle. Uh, whoever it is you're lined up against. Uh, and again, in this league, the, the parity is so close that you should be able to win every night. I know you're not going to do it, but, but the players are so good that they can do it. Um, the, the, the teams are that close. So, so it's a matter of finding a way to win enough games. Um, so, so again, it's, uh, it's the same things we're hearing over and over again, issues with 
whether it's preparation, not doing well enough, not doing your things, doing the little things, systems. It's all these same things that's been thrown at us from the last couple of years now. And it doesn't it doesn't give a lot of confidence uh, when you're hearing it from the outside. That's for sure. Yannick, you're watching this team every night. Where do you come in on the personnel versus structure debate? What is more impactful in shaping this team's three six and three record? You need three defensemen. You need your number two, three, and four defensemen. They're not good enough on this team right now. You have Quinn Hughes. I. I, I never played with a player like that. The, the closest I came was Brent Burns when I got traded to San Jose. He was the closest to that number one all-round elite defenseman you can have on the ice for 30 minutes and will dominate when he's out there. But he's getting no help. Um, you, need, you need three defensemen after him that are good enough uh, to push everything else into place. Um, and, and I think they've been needing these for a while now. Um, they needed to go out and find these. They didn't. Um, so that leads me into like you, you can keep adding these players, Stillman, uh, Poolman, uh, but but they're not going to solve your defensive side of the games because they're not good enough. Um, Luke Shen, I, I like Luke Shen. What he brings on a on a true contender, he's a seventh defenseman, no more. Uh, but, but right now he, he's riding shotgun with with Quinn. It shouldn't happen. Quinn should have a guy. He should have a safety blanket, if you will. Chris Tanev, I know it's he was here and 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 they they had a good thing going. But they need somebody Tough. like that, <laughs> uh, so, somebody who can who can cover for him. Somebody who's out there. Somebody who's good enough to play twenty five minutes next to him um, and, and be that defenseman and a half, if you will, in your own end. So so Quinn doesn't have to to worry about that. Um, these are the type of guys they needed to bring in instead of, and it's easier said than done from from the, from the chair than this when actually making decisions. Um, but that leads into the penalty kill. You don't have the proper penalty killers either. This is again um, a roster decision. That's not Bruce. He doesn't have the he doesn't have the tools to solve the penalty kills because he needs a couple of players to to really help him in this aspect. You keep trying to pluck holes with the guys that you have. But, but when I look on this team um, and I say, okay, we are, we're on a penalty kill here. There's a minute left in the playoff. Uh, four guys, who am I throwing out over the bench? Oh, I'm going to throw out Bo. But, but after that, I have a hard time picking the other three if I'm in this scenario. And that's an issue to me. Um, when I played, and again, I was fortunate. I played on a good team. Yari, I know all these things. But, but there was no question in my mind that I could pick the first four and I could pick the next four as well. So I knew exactly who was coming out and who could get the job done. Didn't always get the job done, but it wasn't like I was like, okay, do, do we need to OEL out? Do we, do we need to try a, a PD now because nobody else can kill penalties? Do I really want to let Quinn Hughes go out and play uh, on the power play and, and see a Steven Stamko three, one time or three times and have to to block that. All of these little things just leads into roster decisions, and that falls on Bruce then that, again, you don't have the personnel to really deal with all the issues. Yeah, system structure and all these things, that's his responsibility. And again, he's given a team, he's got to make it happen, um, but, but it falls on both sides of that coin, in my opinion. Yeah, and I, I want to follow up about your defenseman comment, because that's my hobby horse for years now. Uh, when you played, 
in Vancouver, you were you were pretty lucky. You guys almost had a team that was a decade ahead of its time with uh, Hamhuis, Bieksa, Erhoff, Edler, all guys who could move the puck and skate. Uh, what does that do in terms of making a forward's job easier? And how much more important is it in the game today, uh, a decade on, considering how quickly some of these teams get moving north-south? Well, well, defense will, will solve a lot of your deficiencies. There, there's no question mm-hmm. about that. Um, you, you, you'll win game you shouldn't win because you have a good defense. Um, you'll win these uh, one-two games. Uh, there's not a lot of shootouts, uh, shutouts anymore, but but you will win some of these as well because you have an ability to just need one or two goals in order to win a game. You're up three nothing against Nashville. There is no way you should lose that game. No way. You should find a way to tie this down. I know there's more offense and more comebacks now than when I played, but there is no way, in my opinion, a team should be able to come back from that. You, you, you should. You, it, it just shouldn't happen. Uh, and then again, if you can't play defense, you're forced to go out. And, and I saw this from Bruce. Oh, we needed that fourth goal to really, really turn them over. If you need four goals to win in this league, find something else to do. It, it shouldn't have to come to this. Like you're scoring three, four goals every single night, which is what they're almost doing right now. It should be enough to win you the Stanley Cup if you can score that much on a, on a regular basis. Um, I, I was never like I, I cannot remember um, the 2011, the year we scored the most goals, how many we got, but it wasn't four a night. Um, it, it's it's almost yeah ludicrous that, that we're talking about needing that fourth and fifth in order to win hockey games at the National Hockey League level. Um, you need you need you need your defense to win your hockey games. It's entertaining, yeah. Anaheim eight. Five. It's great for the fans. Everybody's happy. Everybody gets their points. And come contract talk, everybody's gonna get too much money. Um, <laughs> but but it, that's what it leads to. And, and again, we also want this production because if things don't go well, you want to be able to sell your players. So it, it's like again, it's it's hard to pick one or the other. But if you want a team that can win and not just win enough to finish 16, 15, 14 and limp into the playoff. No, a team that can win. You, you need to be able to defend and you need to be able to defend better than a lot of other teams does. And that defense will solve your deficiencies. So when Demko aren't playing as good as he probably could, it doesn't matter because you have a defense that'll cover for them. Again, you're, you're picking the best team in the league, but Colorado, they're on their third goalie right now and they're just as good. Um, the goalies that leave Colorado, what do they look like when they leave? <laughs> what did that tell you? It tells you that it, their defense is good enough to solve the deficiencies from whatever it is. So, so you need to find you need to find those defensemen that'll cover for uh, yeah a lot of the issues that you're seeing right now. Whether it's turnover, soft plays here and there. Uh, again, I don't want to see them either. Um, but if some of them get cleaned up, some of them gets covered by better defensive defensemen that aren't sliding and letting it being a, a two-on-one. It's a two-on-o because they slide too soon or miss the play or cover the pass instead of the shooter and all, all of these little things. Um, then you'll see that this, the goals all of a sudden start declining at a very, very fast pace. 
in conversation with Yannick Hansen, former Canuck here on Canucks Talk. It was uh, just over three goals a game, by the way, Yannick, for uh, uh, for the 2011 Canucks, who, as you, you said, led the league. So not four, definitely not four, even when you guys led the league. I, I do want to ask you about something else uh, from your playing days with the Canucks, because, look, you know, when, when you hear Jim Rutherford talk about Bruce Boudreaux the way he did yesterday, and he has been, it's natural to wonder how much future does Boudreaux have with the team? Could his job be on the line on this road trip? And you know, the one, and I'm sure you've talked about it before, the one that always comes to mind is, I think it was an eight-game losing streak under Alain Vigneault uh, in 2009. Eventually, Burroughs scores the big goal against Carolina, break the slump, and, and A.V. keeps his job. Were you aware as players, uh, you know, or how much were you aware, I guess, is the better question of, you know, the idea that Alain Vigneault's job could be on the line? And how did that kind of influence how you were playing during that slump? That was probably the meeting I alluded to because there was a seven-game losing streak okay. and we, we didn't have a lot of those. Uh, we, we knew there were issues. We had some very, very good teams. Did we think the uh, AB was going to get? I don't think so. Um, but I heard this later on that yeah, Burr saved uh, Burr saved AB's job uh, and and all these things with, with that one in Detroit there. Um, Again, it sucks as a player when you start hearing this because we're the last end of the line here. Uh, GM gets canned, uh, coaches get canned. The hardest, the hardest move to make is starting making those player moves because once you trade JT Miller or Bo Horvat, there there's no dialing that back. Uh, that that that's your player that's gone. If you're if you're firing Bruce, well, there is ten coaches down the line who can come into the dressing room that might make it work. So, so it, you're a little more lenient on that side, um, but but again, it, it's never it's never fun because um, things are again things are going the wrong way. Um, you're not playing up to potential. Team is not playing up to potential. Um, you know, changes are going to be made, and one of the things those players don't like is making changes. Uh, we have families as well. Mm. Um, the security, the comfort of knowing where you live, work, sleep, play, eat, all these things is nice to know. Um, so when things aren't going well, you're, you're in this kind of limbo where, okay, I'm, am I out the door? Is the coach out the door? New guy coming in. What's he going to do? Is he going to play me the same way? Am I going to get the ice time, line mates, all these things? So it's, it's, it's never fun to be around when, when these things are creeping in. One of the other things that Rutherford said was, you know, there might come a point where we have to start thinking more about next year, you know, not really prioritizing winning this year, but looking ahead to the future. That could mean trading some high profile players. And, you know, one of the questions we get a lot when we talk about the idea of a rebuild from listeners is, well, how do you sell that to the guys that stay around, right? Like if if you're talking to Elias Pettersson or Quinn Hughes and you're trading good players away from the team, what kind of message does that send to them? What do you think you would say to, to you know some of the good young players that do do stick around if the team does, uh, as I said, you know trade away some of the other good players on the team and kind of go in a different direction? You call Demer, Petey, and and Quinn into the office and say, hey, listen, this is what we're doing. This team can't win the Stanley Cup. We believe you guys can with the proper guys around you. Um, it's going to be a hard uh, two, three, four years, um, but you will reap the reward. Um, uh, and again, you you're our guys to go to, and and then you'll you'll go from there. Um, they're professional enough to know um, that that it isn't going well enough. Uh, I'm assuming they're the type of people who want to win, and they're not here just to have a good time, make some money, and play in the NHL. And they'll understand. 
Um, uh, so again, you, you don't want to be playing eight, nine, ten years of your career and not playing the playoff. Um, they had a sniff of the playoff in the bubble. There were no fans, uh, so so do you get, these guys haven't really experienced what that's all about. Um, once they do, like you can't get enough of it. You, you want to get it about. You want to get right back to it. Uh, you lose in the playoff, you can't wait till eighty-two games is over the next year because you want to get back into that. Um, so, so they'll understand, and I think I would understand it too. If Jim comes up on the TV and, uh, tomorrow and say, "Hey, well, listen, we're going to blow this up, and and it's going to be three hard years," fair enough. I'm going to be on the radio with you guys. That's the expectation. It's a different conversation we're having. It's not going to be a negative conversation about, oh, they're losing, they're not doing the right things. No, because now it's a different mentality. It's a different approach we're taking. It's not, I want to make the playoff. I have a team who can make the playoff. I've traded for a couple of players that won't be good four years from now. No, they're supposed to be good right now. So, so we're we're judging the team on a different basis, and I think the fan base have had a, enough of of the retool as well. Where, where you keep hearing, "Oh, we're, we're uh, two years from now, three years from now, we'll we'll be right there." Um, they said I was part of that when that started, uh, and it never really worked those years I was there. It hasn't really worked yet either. And again, if you keep doing this, you're just going to push it right into Petey and Quinn. Where okay, are they going to get on the tail end of their uh, career spectrum as well and are they those type of guys like we're talking about Bo and JT now as well so it, it's again you'd have to find out what you want to do and again it's a lot easier to do on the on the radio once or twice a week than it is to do an actual practice um, but again you have to find you have to find a direction stick with it and then do it 100% uh, it can't be okay we're going to think we can fix it on the fly uh, for 10 games and then uh, maybe not and, and, and then revert back to this semi thing um, get, get a clear cut uh, approach and then do it Yannick Yannick oh sorry go sorry, ahead. can go I ask ahead, one guys. more yeah. yeah let me go one more as much as I'd love to uh, throw more uh, Canucks like this team questions for you to spit fire on I want to ask you really quickly because we're less than a week out uh, the twins Roberto going into the Hockey Hall of Fame uh, remembering better days of hockey in Vancouver, uh, what made the three of them so special? What was a common thread between the three of them that uh, makes them first ballot Hall of Famers this week? Uh, as players, their competition. Uh, they, they, they wanted to be the best, and they became the best at some point in their careers. Um, they pushed everyone around them to be better as well, uh, as individuals, uh, but also as players. Um Again, the first time I, I saw Lou was when I got called up in, in the playoff when we played Dallas. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember skating down on him in practice, and, and there was no net. And I was like, holy, how, how am I ever going to score in this league if goalies look like this? Um, and again, it's one of those things. Their personality was, was, was so big. They took up so much space uh, from who they were. And then you stepped off the ice, and they were kind, caring, individual, fun to be around, brought everybody along. Um, it didn't matter if, if you were like me, a rookie, or it was Marcus Naslin that walked into the dress. They treated they, they treated you uh, just alike. Um, so, so again, they, they brought so much competition on the ice that made everybody better. And then off the ice, um, the way they conducted themselves, the way they gave back. Um, again, it, it's hard to do this because you guys are asking about three individuals 
and you could talk so much about it, each individual of them. Um, but, but again, for me, they were the best on the ice, but they were even better on, off the ice. Um, so again, um, they, they deserve everything they're, they're getting right now. And it's, it's great to see that they get a night now to really get the recognition that they deserve. Cause this is more of them where a lot of the things they did, the team got the credit for it. It was the Canucks that was here and there. Um, but this is this is them now, so it's it's very good to see, and I'm, I'm very happy for them. Yannick, always really appreciate the time, especially uh, changing it up for us today. Great stuff, and uh, we'll look forward to hearing you on Friday as well. Sounds good. Thank you. That is former Canuck Yannick Hansen bringing the heat, Drancer, as he always, always does here on Sportsnet uh, 650. That was uh, that was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, what else did you expect? That's Yannick. That was uh, that was great stuff. Yeah, Yannick rocks, and he's right. Shoots 100%. I don't know what he shot as a player, maybe 12%, 10%. But as an analyst, he shoots 100%. It's uh, this, this really quite came incredible. In when, uh, when Yannick was talking, I think probably about the defense specifically, Jim in North Van says, listening to Yannick Hansen is like listening to Drance, but in a different accent. Um, and the it's, only it's good, it's good company. I mean, for the last, for the last two years, for the last two years, me and Yannick have been singing out of the same hymn book, right? And uh, that's good company to be in. It's, the, uh, the only refreshing. difference is you and I, you know, we get pretty animated like our, our blood runs hot sometimes when we're talking about the Canucks Yannick is is purely cold-blooded like the, well, the heartbeat also, never never raises it's just these are the cold hard facts and it's uh it makes it even more impressive I think in a way uh, also I'm talking theory Yannick's actually done it yep. and that matters a ton it should matter a ton he's just dead on it is what it is we will continue to talk about it, react a little bit more to what Yannick Hansen had to say. Uh, we want I want to play Bruce Boudreaux, uh, his game day audio as well, because he had a chance to respond to Rutherford's comments, so you hear from that. Uh, we'll start to turn our attention towards the Ottawa Senators game as well. More on the way. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650 ahead of the Vancouver Canucks and Ottawa Senators only a few hours away. Four o'clock game out east. I'm Jamie Dodd. My co-host is Canucks insider Thomas Trance covering the team at The Athletic as well. Canucks Talk brought to you by Avenue Machinery and Douglas Lake Equipment. Your Kubota all-star team, avenuemachinery.ca, douglaslakeequipment.com. 650, 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line, and I am live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Footwear and Orthotics, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, supported by over 1,500 five-star Google reviews. Find your perfect fit at Kintech.net. We just uh, chatted with Yannick Hansen, and this <laughs> this text comes in unsigned. Uh, I need Yannick Hansen to analyze my life, so I finally get my stuff together. <laughs> And I can uh, I can appreciate the sentiment, man. He gives it to you straight, and our inbox is now flooded with appreciation and support for the job uh, that Yannick Hansen does. I did want to play another clip from uh, Jim Rutherford and his interview with Dan and Sat on Central yesterday. I alluded to it a little bit with Yannick Hansen, but want to make sure everyone hears it so we're clear what we're talking about, and that is. Uh, specifically, Reach asked him the question, do you get to a point where the focus starts to be less on turning this season around and setting yourself up for ne next season becomes the priority? Here's what Jim Rutherford had to say. Yes, there will be a point that we do that. And, uh, and I also think there will be a point 
where we start to talk. You, you know, there's certain players you can't you can't trade because you know people aren't interested in them. And and so maybe we're going to get to a point where we're going to have to take a look at trading one or two players that in the off season we would never consider doing. Now the only way we would do that is to trade that player and get something in return that we can at least stay the same as we are now and get a couple more younger assets. That's what I talk about when we build. It's not necessarily a total teardown and rebuild. We just keep building piece by piece by piece. And we'd all like to, you know, it's like doing a a puzzle. We'd all like to, you know, put all those pieces, those thousand pieces out on a table and fit the most important pieces in first. But it doesn't work that way. Each piece by piece at some point will make sense for what we're trying to do. That is Canucks president of hockey operations, Jim Rutherford. Again, another uh, very dense, lots to unpack there clip from Rutherford Dranzer, you know, saying, first of all, the obvious guys we would like to trade, nobody wants them, which is, you know, a pretty intense thing for the president to say that has kind of flown under the radar, given a lot of the other things he had to say. And then the one that I think was drawing the most interest there was, look, maybe we have to consider moving one or two players that previously would not have really crossed our mind to do so because of the situation we find ourselves in. How did you react to that portion of the interview? Obvious. Like, it's obvious. It's obvious, right? I mean, how many guys on this team do you think you could trade without taking money back in the offseason? It's like six, maybe seven. Right? I mean, and in season, it's even shorter. Mm-hmm. In season, it might be like three guys. Three guys. Because no one has cap space. Right? I mean, that's the first part. There's, you know, there's only three teams in the league that could stomach Connor Garland's deal, the full freight of Connor Garland's deal without sending money out. Three teams. Right? So that limits you pretty significantly right there in terms of in season trades. Uh, you know, you, you probably only reel off five or six names before you get to Luke Shen and Kyle Burroughs in terms of the Canucks with the most trade value, right? And and probably probably they only go down to seven or eight if you include the first overall pick in 2023. So, yeah, there's not a lot of value. This is an asset-poor organization. That's part of the issue, right? It's a puzzle for me. Jim's talking about the puzzle from a hockey team perspective, right? He's talking about... Neil Zaman might not be my ideal first item of business, but he can play minutes for us when we're a contending team, right? That's what he's sort of talking about with taking care of the smaller pieces first. And in fairness, Rutherford and Alvin, Kuzmenko, Oman, Joshua, you know, Bear now, I think you like some of those pieces that they brought in, right? I do. Yep. But for me, the big puzzle isn't about what the roster looks like. And maybe this is just because I'm more uncomfortable with uncertainty and ambiguity than most, right? And, and it's easier to be when you're not in the chair. And I, I, I note that. Like, that's fair. I, granted. But for me, the puzzle is this. The team doesn't have many valuable trade chips. They don't have much in the way of meaningful cap flexibility, and they won't have much in the meaningful way of meaningful cap flexibility for at least a couple more years. They don't have cost certainty. Their two best-performing players are up either this summer or the summer thereafter in Bo Horvat and Elias Pettersson. 
This is one of the leanest prospect systems in hockey, right? Uh, there is very little of note outside of Jonathan Lekermacki, who's had an extremely slow start to the season. That might even be a talking point if the wheels weren't falling off everywhere else. You put that all together, combine it with the amount of inefficient money committed long-term to rapidly aging players, and that's where I get to where I start talking about how I don't see a path to contend even around Hughes, Pedersen, and Demko. I like Yannick Hansen's pitch to them. I want to enlist him to make it. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't even see... I don't even see how you unload or reset the decks without bundling some of those bad contracts with some of your most valuable pieces. I know that's hard to hear. It's brutal considering all the times that we watched, you know, the, the Megnas of the world yeah. lining up on, on the top line. But this organization failed to make minced meat pie out of minced meat results between 2014 and 2019. And you're living with that now. Now, instead of being this team on the come up, this club's stuck. Stuck. And I don't know how you fix it without fundamentally resetting an awful lot of what's happened. For me, that begins with cap space. For me, that begins by beginning to build up some of these fundamental planks with ruthless patience and discipline. I think it's years. I really do. I think it's years. And and by the way, here's the worst part of it. You can disagree with me. The organization disagrees with me. That's totally fine. We, we don't all have to agree. My worry, and I think I'm right, but my worry <laughs> is that the pain that I'm saying is going to last four or five years is going to happen whether you steer into the skid or not. This is inevitable for me. When I look at how this team is positioned relative to the rest of the league, this pain is inevitable. It's just, it's just about whether or not this club is willing this time, this time, having driven inexorably toward a ditch, to steer into the skid and make it count. Make, make it so that when the team frees itself, frees itself up from this swamp, it does so with rocket boosters on the back, right? Like with the real assets that can get it out and rocket this team up the standings. Build a meaningful contender. A durable contender. That, that's what it's going to take for me. That's how I see it now. And I just don't see it being avoidable. It's just a matter of whether or not this t- team can accept that prematurely, because of years, years of woeful management decisions, this team that should be young and on the come up is actually already positioned like an end-of-window contender on the decline, with the only difference being that their core group isn't in their 30s, but is 23, 22, and 26. It's brutal. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not trying to sugarcoat this. It's awful. It's inexcusable. But it's, but it's where we're at. I don't, I don't think anyone would ex- uh, accuse you of sugarcoating it. <laughs> really? Um, I thought that was pretty polite. <laughs> I thought that was pretty polite, Jamie. I don't think there to be a, totally honest with you. I don't think there are a lot of people yelling at the radio. Stop sugarcoating. You're letting them off the hook, Trancer. Um, I, I mean, I think I kind of am. <laughs> I kind of am because I'm not going line by line on all the baffling decisions that have brought us here. Right? Like, truly, I think that's a light touch. That was me showing restraint. <laughs> so here's the no, thing. No, fans should be outraged. You, you shouldn't be this bad for a decade. 
right? 26th in the NHL over the past decade. And the teams below them are actually pretty interesting now. Buffalo, New Jersey, Detroit, you know, even Ottawa, right? The only team below them <laughs> over the past decade that's in worse shape is Arizona, mm-hmm. right? In Arizona, I mean, come on. Arizona's, I mean, even Arizona won well, a trade with the Canucks. But also, there's no, <laughs> there is no lower bar. Like no, may, maybe exactly. in professional sports, honestly, than than the Arizona Coyotes. Like that, I, that's it. it. I mean, it's it's wild. It's wild to be at this point after this much poor performance. This is not a league designed to enable it. So yeah, I think I'm sugarcoating it. This is a uniquely messed up situation, and I think it requires uniquely dramatic action to fix it. Well, and that's. You know, to get back to what Rutherford had to say, that's my question. Because the the way he phrased it there, right, is we might have to consider trading players that in the summer we never would have considered trading. And I think the interesting thing about that formulation is, you know, what do we know about Jim Rutherford, right? What was the the read on Jim Rutherford coming into Vancouver? It was he's not afraid of making moves, right? Trader Jim makes a lot of moves. Early in his tenure, there was a lot of speculation, but also reporting of, okay, who's on the untouchable list? Well, it's a very short list. It's it's probably Patterson, Hughes, Demko, maybe Bo Horvat, maybe not. But that's kind of the list uh, that was potentially untouchable. We've heard basically everybody else on the team be involved in trade rumors at some point, right? Hey, they would love to try to move Connor Garland, maybe Brock Besser, JT Miller, Tyler Myers, Tanner Pearson, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So if he's saying, well, you know, we might have to start considering trading somebody we previously would not have considered, you know, Bo Horvat might come up first on that list, but you kind of also have to ask the question, does that now extend to guys like Thatcher Demko, Elias Pettersson and Quinn Hughes. I know Elliot Friedman was on with Jeff Merrick to say, saying, you know, he thought probably Hughes and Pettersson were still in that untouchable category, but he wasn't 100% sure about Demko. I mean, the other thing he said about Rutherford is he can do anything at any time. Are we, like, how real is that conversation, right? If, if the, is the untouchable list now empty? Are we trending in that direction? Or is that overreacting to that snippet of what Jim Rutherford had to say? Um, I mean, I don't see that being a bridge that has been crossed at this juncture. I I mean, this club's plan remains to try and continue to, as Rutherford put it, right, build the puzzle with, with some focus and discipline. It's just a different type of focus and discipline than I'm usually advocating for, right? There's a belief that they can turn over the right side of this defense core in particular and in combination with a more structured approach be more than the sum of their parts and you know if not next year not this year anyway not next year but maybe the year after and if not the year after that be ready to contend you know if that's the plan well then you're definitely counting on 25 and 26 year old Hughes and Pedersen mm-hmm. to be a big part of that effort Right. Uh, no, no question about it. In my mind, I don't think we've crossed a bridge where zero untouchables, which which is where I'm at. Right. My, my plan would call for zero untouchables. Uh, you know, if you if you can find a way to keep those guys, they're the last guys you want to move. Don't get me wrong. But my plan would call for zero untouchables. What I'm advocating for calls for 
pretty much a complete reimagination of the entire roster. What their plan calls for is a belief that they still can build something meaningful around those three guys. And, and I think Demko's very much still in that group. You even heard Rutherford say, with a goalie like that and players like that, we should be able to get it done. Rutherford's been around a long time. Like He won cups with Matt Murray and saw what happened th thereafter. Right? He paid to trade Marc-Andre Fleury and saw what happened thereafter. You know, there's no he, – he was a goalie. He was yes. a goalie. His kid's yeah. a goalie. You know, <laughs> Jim Rutherford knows goalies. He knows how volatile goalie performance is. He's not watching these games thinking, oh, if only we had Demko playing at the level he did last year. He's thinking it's impossible to expect Demko to be at that level year after year, game after game. No one is. No one ever has been, except maybe Dominic Hasek for a three-year stretch. Right, that, that it's unrealistic to expect that from a goaltender. I don't think Jim Rutherford's confused about that. I don't think Thatcher Demko's done anything to remove his, you know, organizational standing as a cornerstone piece of this franchise. So, still a franchise goaltender in 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 management's eyes, no doubt about it in mine. In saying that, and you know, I, I think very much so. The sacred cows list as Jeff Merrick would put it yes still still would include those players because how do you square an effort to turn this team around in a couple of years with jettison jettisoning those players I think you have to be where I'm at thinking that you're four or five years away now if you're going to consider doing those types of deals yeah I guess it comes down if you I mean that these trades are this is fantasy hockey stuff right where it's the trade one of them for like another player who's that has the same pedigree and upside as them but for whatever reason it's and it's a one-for-one -one hockey trade deal those, those just don't come around really all that often though so I don't know I I just can't help but listen to Jim Rutherford and look we've had this I've made this point on the show before we've talked about it before where the diagnosis of what is wrong with the team from Rutherford seems to be very very dire but the prescription doesn't necessarily seem to uh, have that same sense of urgency. And that was kind of the first sense I got that we're not there yet, but also just the fact that he was raising the stakes before, before this road trip, right? Trans are like very consciously, very explicitly raising the stakes, seeing, saying, you know, we might be at the point where we have to start holding the players more accountable. We'll definitely be at the point, depending on how this road trip goes to. That was kind of the first sense I started to get that, Maybe we're at least beginning to go down that road where truly nothing is off the table. <laughs> truly, truly big moves might have to be in the cards at some point, right? And again, I don't, I, yeah, like I agree with you. I don't think we're there yet, right? I don't think that was Jim Rutherford saying, you know, I'm fielding calls on Elias Pettersson all of a sudden. But no, at no. a certain point, if you keep making this extremely pointed, extremely harsh critique of the team and their ability to win and their habits and all of that, well, then it stops making sense to keep certain things off the table you have to be willing to at least consider all of these big drastic moves at a certain point so jamie one day we have to build my rule book because i've got a lot of them right okay <laughs> the right thing done the wrong way is still the wrong thing just stop digging i mean i've got a lot of rules right you got to win in the boardroom before you can win on the ice right i've got a lot of rules one of them right of course hockey will always take the most logical conclusion yes. to a logical outcome yes okay What's the most illogical outcome tonight in the wake of this conversation and all of the other ones being had on these airwaves and every conversation in the locker room and the Bruce Boudreaux media scrum? It's a decisive Canucks win tonight. See, I disagree with you. I disagree with you because I think what everyone's going to be expecting tonight and what we see a lot is, you know, the Canucks come out just full of vinegar, 
right? And they're, and they're fighting, and they're running around, and they're finishing their checks, and it's a hot start, and hey, they stood up and they won one for their coach. Like, that's the... That, that's what I would call the expected outcome in a lot of ways, right? Like what we saw in Seattle after the last time they were called out by the president. Don't you think that don't you think that's kind of like one of the reasons Rutherford was doing this was to try to provoke that reaction from the team? Or, or the opposite reaction, but yeah, I think it was to provoke <laughs> a reaction. For sure. So anyway, I'm just saying this feels like this feels like one of those Canucks win heroically, and everyone's like, see, the media blew it up. And it's like, no, th- this was really weird. <laughs> That's what this feels like now. This Ottawa Senators team, I actually think, is pretty good. I think they're way better than their results. I think on a true talent basis, they're absolutely equal to the Canucks, which is a depressing thing to say, to be totally honest. But, you know, this Ottawa Senators team should be dangerous, is dangerous against most teams. This Canucks team eats teams that can't move the puck. They do. They, they're really good against teams that can't move the puck effectively. Ottawa can't move the puck that well. This is a good matchup for the Canucks. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm not counting out a big Canucks response performance tonight by any means. I think that's coming. Yeah, I'm not counting it out either. The one thing, though, is based on his commentary, through his commentary yesterday, like it was always on this trip, the Eastern Canada road trip, if you get bad results – it's always going to be a media firestorm, especially when you've started the season like you have if you're the Canucks. But Rutherford has – he has amped that up even more, right, to the point where if it's a multi-goal loss tonight for the for the Canucks, it's going to feel even more significant than it would have based on their record. It's going to feel very, very damning, I think, of this team if they don't have that kind of, hey, we were called out publicly and now we're going to prove everyone wrong response. If that is absent – Man, oh man, we're going to be having some interesting conversations <laughs> tomorrow oh, it, on the show. It's going to be present. It has to it be has present. To be. And if, it has and to if be. we don't, and if we don't get that, uh, I mean, this Canucks roster will have will have spoken far more loudly than Rutherford did uh, with Dan and Sat on Monday. I night. think the question really is not so much do you get it tonight because, as you said, like if that if it's not there, I mean, oh, oh my goodness. But it, it's not so much do you get it tonight. It's do you get it tomorrow, right? Do you get it for the entirety of this road trip? Do you get it for more than two weeks, uh, <laughs> which was the last time well, Rutherford I'm sure tried this take tactic. it for more than two periods. Yeah. Frankly. That would be nice. Go go into the third period and, and have that same uh, same level of, uh, of fight and hunger and all that. Yeah, that would, be, uh, that would be nice to see on this road trip. But that's the real question for me is not so much can you do it tonight, but can you can you sustain it? Can you do it tomorrow in Montreal, Saturday uh, in Toronto, Sunday in Boston, et cetera, et cetera. We're going to take an early break here. We'll play Bruce Boudreau on the other side, talk about some of his comments, both uh, about the game tonight, get into some lineup notes, because there actually are some pretty interesting lineup notes uh, to go through in the game against Ottawa and hear from Bruce Boudreau, uh, his response to Jim Rutherford's comments as well. That's coming up next. It is Canucks Talk, Sportsnet 650. Welcome back to Canucks Talk Sportsnet 650, final segment of the show. Jamie Dodd, uh, Thomas Trance. It is Canucks game day, 4 o'clock puck drop. Uh, Of course, that means pregame show for the game against the Senators, beginning at 3 with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah here on Sportsnet 650. And at 3.30, the pregame show will be live 
on Sportsnet Pacific. So don't want to miss that one uh, as well. And of course, full intermission and postgame coverage here on 650 as well. More about uh, the game against the Senators, the matchup, some of the lineup notes as well. But first, here is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux. Yes, there will be a point that we do that. And uh, and I also... That's not the right clip. That was still Jim Rutherford. We want Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux speaking to the media today. Everyone ready? Yep. Okay, go ahead. Bruce, does your team play with enough structure in your view? Listen, uh, you guys, right off the top, um, listen, I'm not going to get into an argument of whether we do or whether we don't. Uh, uh, we play as hard as we can. We do as play as well as we can. And uh, and we lay it all out on the line, I think, every night. That's, uh, that's what I can tell you. Regarding the commentary, did you have a reaction to it um, being delivered at all in public? Well, no, I'm hearing about it uh, this morning, like a lot of people, and, you know, it is what it is, right? Like we just, uh, I, I try to keep the noise out and keep the noise out of the room as much as possible, and and just focus on what we have to do at hand, and that's win a hockey game. So that's our focus tonight. Kuzmenko and Mikheyev absent. Just maintenance? Will they be in? No, it's not even maintenance. It's an optional. So oh, okay. I mean, they just didn't take it. Yeah, but they'll be in your lineup this yeah, evening. Yeah, for sure. Any uh, changes from what we saw at practice Monday? What What are you able to tell us? Well, Besser's going to play, so he's in. So that's pretty well the the big change, and um, you know we'll worry about uh, uh, the defense pairings and everything uh, come nighttime. Are you able to uh, name a starter? Confirm a starter. Uh, Martin's going to play tonight. Mm -hmm. Do you worry that the comments yesterday undermines the team or it affects the players? I um, uh, I'm not. Uh, <clears throat> how do I word this? Is that uh, uh, I'm not in their minds, so I don't know how it affects them one way or another. Uh, if we take the positive uh, effect, is it uh, angers them and wants to show that uh, uh, everybody's wrong? How does it affect you, though, of course? I mean, these are things that are usually done behind closed doors when you're talking about the structure and systems and things like that. Well, you know what? It's uh, 47 years in the business. I've seen a lot of things, so I mean, it's just another thing added to the added to the to the book that I'll never write. <laughs> is it the first time this is happening? That you've heard, heard things in public from your president? Well, I mean, I don't know. Like I said, it's been a long time, so I forget a lot as well. We do. Do statements like this motivate you? Um, you know what? I think every, every person wants to prove people wrong man when they say things and so i mean I, I i guess i'm a pretty competitive guy at heart so uh you'd like to and maybe that's the message and that's what you're trying to do is prove that uh, that's not a true statement anything about hockey sorry just with uh, with your goalies uh, just a matter of a uh, back-to-back split it's back-to-back -back and you know we've looked at it and we look at the numbers and you know, last year, I mean, when they were here, I mean, uh, beat Ottawa, but it was, you know, it wasn't a tough game, but it was a tough game in Montreal, and Demko played really good, so that would be the, the thing there, and and then if he goes good, and you know, then all of a sudden he's played good in Toronto, and then we could do that as well, so I mean, 
we're trying to do a lot of things uh, by the numbers in that in that scenario. So, so that's why we chose this. So because of the righty lefty, you don't want to put him on the left side. I mean, um, it, it's always a possibility. He's played there a lot, so I mean, but I mean, we think it's uh, it's time somebody else got in and. Rathbone played a really good game against Pittsburgh his last game in, so we th thought he deserved to, to get back in again. The Senators are on a five-game losing skid. What are you expecting from them tonight? Well, I mean, we know a little bit about that, so it's uh, uh, you, you expect a desperate team coming out really hard. I mean, they're probably very angry because, uh, you know, in the being in sort of in the same boat as they expected a lot more from them uh, early on, but they got their number one goalie back, and that'll make them feel a lot better. So we'll just, uh, we expect a really tough team and a tough game and, and from a team that's really good at home. Sorry, does Jack Rathbone, just to clarify what your answer to does Jack Rathbone drop back into tonight? There's a good chance. Yeah, my daughter and grandkids are in the stands now. <laughs> What's it uh, like to have them here? Oh, it's great to see them. I don't see them enough, but uh, uh, my poor granddaughter broke her elbow the other day, so I'll get some people to sign her, her cast, and she'll make her, that'll make her happy. Where, where are they from? Ottawa. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, Stittsville. Just around the corner. Thank you. Thank, Thank you very much, Bruce. That is Canucks head coach Bruce Boudreaux uh, speaking with the media after the game day skate in Ottawa ahead of the matchup with the Senators. Uh, some interesting lineup notes that we'll dig into about Brock Besser, Spencer Martin, Jack Rathbone. But, I mean, you were there and, and you started off the, the presser with, as you said, off the top of the show, the obvious question, the question that needed to be asked. What was the kind of vibe you got from Boudreaux in the presser uh, this morning, Drancer? Um, you know, I wouldn't call it defiant. I would just say he was dealing with it, handling it. He wasn't in one. He wasn't in a bad mood. I don't think he was combative. Uh, he was just handling it. That's it. Business as usual, yep. as best as he could, you know, create that pose. Literally the expression, it is what it is. <laughs> so just kind of the definition of, as you say, handling it. You know what I mean? Acknowledging uh, and, it, and it, but, but handling definition it. Of and it's a classic for, you know, bad things happening to the Canucks, right? I mean, it's a Bertuzzi special. And uh, so fitting, fitting that it got unfurled today. Yes, no doubt about it. Now, uh, we have not really talked, barely scratched the surface of the matchup against the Ottawa Senators. So let's run through them here. Brock Besser back in. No big surprise there. Uh, we saw him skating on the line with uh, with JT Miller and Tanner Pearson. Uh, as you said, it was an ot or as Bruce said optional skate, but uh, certainly seems like the lines will shape up the same way we saw them at practice yesterday. The, the more interesting one, and I think a lot of our listeners will be happy to hear it, was uh, Jack Rathbone saying to you that there's a good uh, – Bruce Boudreaux, excuse me, saying that there's a good chance Jack Rathbone could be back in the lineup tonight. What do you make of that uh, potential decision, Drancer? Uh, yeah, I mean, they need to play him. You can't be 3-6-3 three, and three and not be playing your good 21- and 23-year-old players. You know? Well, I mean, what are we doing here? It, it makes no sense that Rathbone's going to play his 22nd NHL game tonight, having turned pro three years ago for a team that hasn't made the playoffs in any of those seasons. It makes no sense at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I don't know what to, uh, There's nothing else to say. Like, it doesn't make sense. They have to fix it. They well, I like also that it's like, well, he played well against 
Pittsburgh. It's, that's a few games ago <laughs> now or a couple of yeah, games and, ago and, now, you know, and <laughs> all right, interesting. Well, and also, let's be real. He hasn't played well. He hasn't played well, and that's still no excuse to take him out. Like, you have to see what he can do. You have to give him some rope, um, you know, especially given that this team thinks that you can't judge a defenseman until they've played 200 games. I mean, at this pace, Jack Rathbone's going to be a 30-year pro playing his 200th game. I mean, you gotta you got to give him some run, and I don't want to see him play tonight and come out. You know, I want to see him get 15, 20 games so that we know, is he a jag? Is he just a guy? Or can he help this team? You know, at some point, you have to figure that out, especially at his age. You, you need to know. Well, and can he rebuild some trade value as well, right? Like, that has to be part of the consideration. I mean, we heard Rutherford talk about it uh, with Bo Horvat yesterday, where he said, yeah, we want to sign him, we want to keep him. But hey, if he keeps playing well, it helps us if we want to trade him too. And I mean... When everything is potentially on the table, like we've heard from Jim Rutherford now, or at least they might have to start considering it, that's another part of the calculation is who has the best chance to actually be worth something on the trade market to give you a little bit of flexibility. It's not Jack Rathbone if he's in the press box. That, that is not going to do anything to help you actually get some value. So even if you're not convinced that he's part of the long-term solution, you have to get him on the ice because maybe another team will be convinced. Maybe another team will like what they see enough uh, that they actually, he actually is able to build back a little bit of his value should you choose to make some significant changes during the season. Uh, and then the last interesting lineup note, Spencer Martin starts tonight. Of course, it's the first leg of a back-to-back, so we'll see Thatcher Demko in Montreal uh, tomorrow night. This one, this text came in. If we all agree that last year Demko covered up the flaws that are now exposed, uh, is playing Martin tonight the right decision? He hasn't lost in regulation between the pipes. If he wins, should we keep him in there until he loses? Well, they are starting Spencer Martin tonight, but I like. I think we're so far away still from a you know a classic Vancouver goalie controversy. This is still Thatcher Demko. They still believe in Thatcher Demko. Spencer Martin played really well. It's nice to have a backup who's playing really well that you trust. You know, even even in a game where you really feel like you need a win, you can still put him out there. But this is still Thatcher Demko's crease until until we hear definitively otherwise. Also, the next four games are all back to back sets. Yeah, so, so you got to get Spencer he... Martin two of them. Even yeah, even if he puts himself in the conversation, which I don't think he can. He, I mean, he could have a shutout, thirty-two save performance, and I'm not going to be countenancing the idea that this team shouldn't be riding Thatcher Demko as their starter. Uh, so you know, uh, even if he did play well enough to start the conversation, I still think you'd be playing Demko on Wednesday night in Montreal, and then in my view, anyway, probably Martin against Toronto and Demko in Boston. Uh, so. You know, this, I mean, they need all the wins they can get. They need all the points they can get. At some point, if it continues that one goalie is significantly hotter than the other, maybe you have to consider it. But, you know, Thatcher Demko is going to come out of this. He hasn't played that badly. I I can't even think of a game where his performance costs the team. So, you know, we got to stop it with this. Anyway, (laughs) I want to talk about the, uh, the... I want to talk, yeah, never. Goalie goalie controversies. We love them. Um, Want to talk about Ottawa really quick. Okay. Tyler Mott revenge game? <laughs> Travis Hamannick revenge game? Uh, I'll sign off on the first one, not the, not the latter. <laughs> I, I will not I sign know, off man. on the idea of a Travis Hamannick revenge game. No. Sorry. Sorry, I'm not biting. I th- I'm, well, I mean, it's not it's not for you to decide. That, that we leave that to the hockey gods. Yes, that's the, uh, true. The, the deflected in Travis Hamannick game winner off a stick. Um, <laughs> don't, don't, don't say I didn't warn you. 
And uh, and look, the Senators are an interesting contrast right now because they're playing well five on five. Their special teams aren't great. Feel familiar? And uh, and they've loaded up their top line. Like they've got three guys who can play center, all playing on their top line right now. And Kachuk, Stutzla, and Giroux. Um, Alex DeBrinkett's averaging five shots a game, shooting four percent. That's the one that I'm looking for. Like that's the one that I'm wondering about tonight. The Canucks have been far too permissive in terms of the chances they've surrendered. Their defense is not the fastest. Feels like a DeBrinkett breakout could be in the offing. Canucks need to make sure it's a hard night on Alex Debrinket. You know he's going to be hungry. You know he's going to bring it. You know he's frustrated. This is the sort of night where I really don't want to see a star Ottawa Senators player have an easy night at the rink. That's that more than anything. Like, what does it look like to respond to Jim Rutherford's commentary? I want to see some heavy shifts. I want to see some control, like we saw in that Nashville game throughout, in my opinion, but especially in the first period. And I want to see it be a tough night at the office for Dabrinkit. I'm not saying you have to keep him off the score sheet. I'm saying I want to see it be a tough night at the office for Alex Dabrinkit. I'm really sick of watching this team permit other teams' star players to have an easy game. Uh, that can't continue. It's just not acceptable. It's not acceptable. Can't happen tonight. The other thing is, you know, I know you mentioned on the show yesterday, like losing Norris, it it, it takes the shine off of the top six a little bit for the Senators or quite a bit. I mean, he's re- he's a really good player, but you still look at the second line. So in the first line, they've got Brady Kachuk, Tim Stutzla, Claude Giroux. Uh, the second line, or at least that was yesterday's uh, pair lineup. I don't know if they switched things around today, but you still have you know, Alex Dabrinkit and Drake Batherson on your second line. Two really, really good, really dangerous players that can burn you. Yeah, it would look even more intimidating with Norris uh, in the mix there, but that's still a dangerous top six that the Canucks are going to have to account for and do a much better job of shutting down than they have with a lot of high-end players this season. The the other thing I'll say, you know, you mentioned a Travis Hamanick uh, revenge game, right? And look, that, that could still be in the cards, but how about the Canucks extract some revenge on Travis Hamanick, right? Like, this is a team whose their second pairing is Hamanick and rookie Jake Sanderson. And you should be able, when you have the offensive talent that you that the Canucks have, you should be able to, as you said, have some heavy shifts. Take advantage of that defense core, right? Be dangerous. Not just avoid Travis Hamanick extracting revenge on you, but you should actually be able to exploit that weakness in Ottawa's defense. So yeah, you gotta slow down. One would hope. You gotta slow down the high end players, but you should this should also be a game where, you know, how much have we talked about like the difference between limiting the other team, which is good. Okay, yeah, that's nice. There's a difference between that and actually dominating the game. And this is a game where if you're Bo Horvat, if you're Elias Patterson, JT Miller, you should be looking at the defense core for Ottawa and, and licking your chops a little bit and thinking, man, we can really put a world of hurt on them right now. Well, yeah. I mean, the fact is, is that these are evenly matched teams, and I probably give the Senators, even with their injuries, a slight edge in terms of true talent. Five on five, they've been the better side through 12 games now the Canucks have trended in the right direction the last five I buy some of that glow up considering how it coincides with Hughes's return and Ethan Bear's uh, emergence as a useful piece for this team but you know this is not an easy game make no mistake do not look at the standings and think that the Senators having a lower point percentage than Vancouver through 12 games makes that makes this an easy night for Vancouver this is a this these are evenly matched teams in my view uh, this is the dangerous one, especially because you don't want to go into Montreal on the second leg of a back-to-back. Granted, the travel's not that far, but on the second leg of a back-to-back, 
having blown, dropped two points tonight because then you're basically playing for your season at the Bell Center against a hardworking team that'll have the fans uh, revved up and always do, right? Chanting Olay and stuff. So you don't want that. You, you need to win tonight. This is a big one. It really it's is. It's a big one in, in a sense. I mean, it's a big one in a sense. I'm mad at myself for saying it. Well, and I no, to, like, walk here's it the thing, Drancer, because I understand what you're saying, right? It's not as if it's big in the sense of, you know, you win and you're in or it's a playoff game or anything like that, obviously. But in terms of determining, like, what the next, forget the future, but, like, what does the present look like for this team? What is the next three, four weeks? What are the next couple months? What's the trade deadline going to look like for this team? It is a big game in that sense. You can't you can't hear what Jim Rutherford had to say about the team and specifically saying it's going to depend on this road trip and not think that it's a big game. Like we're not we're not extrapolating. We're not reading between the lines here. We are just relaying what the president of hockey operations had to say, which is they're looking at this a bit in a big game as a big game and big decisions could flow from it if, if it goes the right way. So I hear what you're saying or the wrong way, I should say. So I hear what you're saying, right? Like we shouldn't get in the trap of this November 8th game in Ottawa is a really big game for this team. But from what we understand, they're treating it like a big game. Well, yeah. Plus remember the Ottawa senators were the team that sort of put the final nail in, in the coffin for Vancouver's playoff hopes last spring. One would hope that there's a little bit of bad feeling um, from the Canucks over that too. So yeah, I, I mean, look, we'll see. Yeah, you don't think so? Well, I don't know. I mean, there's so much internal. There should be. There's so much internal. Like, there's there's I just know, so that, much it's, internal it's strife. So Can you even focus on like, oh, this team beat us last year? Like when you're when you're worried about what your coach and your president are saying to each other? I don't know. Maybe Canucks fans, are like uh, an Ottawa media member, <laughs> an Ottawa media member said to me. Are Hoaglander and Pod Colson just switching spots in the lineup? I'm sure the fans in Vancouver love that. And I'm like, we can't even get to that. We don't even have this time or space to really focus on it. I didn't even... Because there's so much else going on around the organization. I didn't even ask Yannick Hansen about Hoaglander, right? And, like, Yannick's talked a lot about Niels Hoaglander's development, what he sees and what he doesn't see in his game. He's given a lot of insight. That should be a major story, right? Young player in his third season going from the press box to the first line to the press box. That should be a really major story. You have Yannick Hansen on, incredible opportunity to pick his brain about it. It's just so far down the list. It's so far down the list of things that are going on right now. We were just having a conversation like, is Jim Rutherford foreshadowing exploring trading Elias Pedersen and Quinn Hughes? And he's not actually doing that. But I think it's a valid conversation to have based on his comments. So when you have that as your kind of top line item, as you said, Hoaglander, Pod Colson, it just falls so far down the actual list of of things you can you have time to talk about right now. And I think more than anything else, I don't know. Like at a certain point, you just need to stabilize. You need to stabilize a little bit here, right? So you are having more of these hockey conversations and not over and over and over again having these big picture fate of the franchise type conversations. I, like. Yes, that needs to happen. They need to set the direction and decide the fate of the franchise, but it's exhausting for us. It must be exhausting for the players and the people on the inside, too. Yeah, I mean, it's a job. You you get used to it. <laughs> for players, you're just so dialed in to your game day routine. <laughs> Honestly, you are. It's like you get prepared to talk for a few minutes, and then you do it, and then it's over. You know, that's that's how... That's how it's got to be for Bo Horvat and Tanner Pearson and JT Miller and the other Canucks players who are most likely to answer for this sort of thing. You know, I'm sure the losses weigh on a team, no question, 
but this outside drama stuff doesn't weigh on a team for me nearly as much as like the dislocation of the locker room, the things mm. that actually impact your day to day do. And that's sort of, uh, you know, one of the interesting things is being on the road actually is probably as stable as it gets for this team right now, considering all the disruptions that they've had over the course of the past two and a half months. Um, they got to cook. They got to get cooking here, right? Like people are hungry. They want a meal. Uh, and uh, and we'll see if they can serve that up in the nation's capital tonight. Uh, let's hear one last clip from Jim Rutherford before we end the show here. Uh, this one was about, you know, hitting a lot of the same things that he's hit throughout his tenure here in Vancouver, but specifically talking about the priority to get younger, collect more draft picks by next offseason. Here's Jim Rutherford. That's going to be the goal going into next offseason, that we've acquired more younger assets, whether it's younger players draft picks and opened up cap space that's uh that's going to be the tough thing to unravel we've tried to do it since since last january and uh but the the players that that become the obvious ones that are not going to be here long term you know are there's not necessarily a return or even players that are willing to take them you know the chicago deal we, you know, we had uh, we had Dickinson, and and uh, it was it was a cap move. We had to put a draft pick in there, um, and it was it was an absolute must to do at that point in time, so we could at least work with the 23 man roster. But we're going to look to make bigger deals than that and open up a lot more cap space, so we can be involved in some of the talks for some of the players that will be available next off season. When we think about or, some of or, 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 or prior to that, I don't want, I don't want people to take this the wrong way. We're just pushing it off till next off season. <laughs> I mean, we, 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 we're willing to do something right now. If something's available. That is Jim Rutherford speaking again about reiterating the uh, commitment to open up cap space, open up really significant chunks chunks of cap space. You know, he was talking about the Dickinson trade. That was obviously a very little amount to kind of set up the salary cap for the start of the season. But you heard him say there he wants to do a whole lot more. And the takeaway from that clip for me, Drancer, is I wonder if there's more of a willingness now to not just not get returns for players by moving in, in in moving salary cap that way, but to actually give up assets, right? To really kind of bite the bullet and say, we are so desperate for salary cap space. We weren't willing to trade picks to do it until the Dickinson trade, but we're going to have to do a lot more of that to get to the place where we need to be. You got to lose some trades. I, I, I don't know how else to say this. You got to outright lose them willingly, intentionally. Like that's the only way where everyone looks at the trade and goes, well, that team got better, and it's not you, right? I mean, what was the reaction after the OEL-Garland deal? Well, the, well, the Canucks got better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> did, did they? You know, you got to be willing to lose the deal. you got to be willing to make deals that, they're, that, that, that are losers, where you're sending out more than you're getting back, where you're sending out a, a really good player with two or three years left on their deal for truly not a good player with one, one, with few less terms. Right, like you got to be willing to lose trades if they're going to clear the sort of cap space that they need to to clear. How is that consistent with a quick turnaround? Right, that's sort of comes back to my big question, my big source of skepticism that remains. Uh, without cap space, you're dead in the water. Right, like the the, the most valuable piece. I, I I got a text to this effect while we were on air, and I'll, I'll just sort of quickly say it. The most valuable trade asset, right, is 
a guy like a Pedersen, like a star level contributor who only costs seven million, mm. as opposed to the the eleven that they cost on the open market, right? The next most valuable asset, it's actually just space, right? The moment you sign a non star player to a to a cap hit that exceeds their contributions, right? That exceeds their value, they're a negative asset immediately. Immediately. And the, the barometer, like the benchmark, the, the replacement level that you have to leap over to be worth even like a $3 million deal with term, it's so high now because of how little veterans cost on the open market, right? <laughs> Once you get to free agency, there's good players available for like a million dollars, a million and a half. There's Niels Amans. There's Andre Kuzmenkos. There's other opportunities to flesh out your roster. The opportunity cost to some of the contracts that the Canucks have, sky high. You have to be willing to outright lose trades at this point if you're going to clear the sort of cap space that Jim Rutherford's talking about. That's my view. That's why I don't think there's a realistic path to turning this around on the timeline that we'd all like. That is it for us today. The Canucks play the Ottawa Senators coming up at 4 o'clock. Full pregame, intermission, postgame coverage here on 650. Of course, Batch and Randy Janda will have the call for you as well. We will be back tomorrow to break it all down right here on Sportsnet 650. All right, it's time for the People's Picks, brought to you by Play Now Sports. Every game will feel like the big game when you bet with Play Now Sports, brought to you by BCLC. Uh, I'll look at the Thursday nighter here. Not a particularly enticing one, as is so often the case on Thursday night. The Falcons, divisional matchup playing on the road in Carolina against the Panthers. Uh, this is a bit of a tough one for me because Atlanta, not very good. They're three-point favorites. It's Atlanta minus three on the road in Carolina. Carolina is just truly, truly dreadful, however. I cannot, in good conscience, advise you to consider uh, putting money on the Carolina Panthers. So even though I don't like it, they're on the road, it scares me a little bit, I will take Atlanta to cover minus three in the Thursday nighter against the Carolina Panthers. That's today's People's Picks, brought to you by PlayNow Sports. When you choose to bet on sports at playnow.com, you're playing on the only site whose profits go back to BC.